they could model all day. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And we're long-distance best friends who bonded over our love of TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. Today, we're discussing Season 4, Episode 4, Micro. This episode originally aired on October 7th, 2014, and was written by Josh Malmuth, who last wrote Season 3, Episode 20, Mars Landing, and directed by Jay Chandrasekhar, who last directed Season 3, Episode 18, Sister 3. And in the episode, after the guys start to rate women by their physical attributes, Jess dates a man with a micropenis just to prove to the rest of the loft that she's not shallow. Meanwhile, Cece and Winston decide to mess with Coach and Schmidt and get them into modeling. And the way this episode kicks off with all of the guys of the loft just talking about all the women who pass by and their boobs and whether they were too small, too big, whatever, it was really gross to see how they were talking about women this way and I just was really cringing through this opening part the way they started off categorizing these boobs I definitely had to say and feel like I was with Jess on this one because it was just not great and I was like why are they starting in so hard on this situation or on this topic, honestly, but then I realized like, ah, got it. They're setting us up for this micro penis conversation. And that's why too, calling it micro, like that's where we were getting the cue in. But then I was really grateful for Jess when she came in and was like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is ridiculous. Like you don't judge people based on the way they look. It's all about who they are, which I'm like, okay, yes, Jess, be the voice of reason for these guys. But Clearly, they were setting us up for something when Jess then is taking the bait and saying, well, I would never do that. And I'm like, oh, here's the episode. (laughs) Jess is going to get tested on whether or not she can handle this. Yeah, exactly. And I love the way they brought Jess into it because you see a couple scenes of the guys going back and forth reading to where it looks like it's just a guy's hang, no one else is there. And then they pan over to Jess and you're like, oh, she's just been sitting here having to hear all this for so long. And I agree, it totally set up the episode and especially around the word shallow. And we know Jess's personality. Once she's made the claim, I'm not shallow like you guys, you're right. She's going to get tested and it's going to be hard for her too, which obviously leads to setup here. And I love how they also decide to tell what her flaw is, which in this case, I guess is her wonky knee, which I have no idea <laughs> what a wonky knee is, but the way Nick talks about it and the rest of the men then come and look at it and all the Big Bird comments from Winston, who also has some things to unpack with Sesame Street, which he's starting to realize, I think, but like those comments are really out there as well. Yeah, I feel like the wonky knee thing, I will say Nick bringing that up in that moment almost was kind of cute to me. I know I'm not like thinking they're going to get back together suddenly because of this comment, but I did think that was rather cute of him to be like, well, like, like your breasts are perfect, but your wonky knee is where the problem is. And I'm like, wait, her breasts are perfect. Like, wow, what a compliment, Nick. Like way to like recognize your ex in a, in a good way. But then 
what is this wonky need that we're calling out? So yeah, the guys looking at it too later and being all concerned, it was very, very ridiculous, but very funny. And Jess just is like going along with it because she's like, I didn't even realize this was a problem. Nick's like, why did you ever think that I let you take your own pants off? Like, I'm like, that was that big of a problem. Maybe it was good that you all broke up because what? That was ridiculous. But I'm I'm with you on Winston. He the Sesame Street things went a little too far. Like he basically wants cookie monster eyeballs on a woman's chest and then yellow feathers on Jess's knee. I was like, what a weird comment to say to Jess as your friend, right? Like, and now suddenly, finally, I think all of the loft mates have now made some kind of play on Jess, but Winston's was by far the weirdest ever, (laughs) ever for anybody. So, so weird. Agreed 100%. And I felt like there were so many good moments in this episode, especially like right here where Max is like breaking. Like a lot of the scenes that it was in there, specifically I caught at like a minute and 52 seconds in, but I felt like a lot of the scenes at the bar at the beginning, Max is just genuinely smiling at how ridiculous the dialogues are that we're doing. And then when Jess calls him out, like you guys aren't perfect, I love also that it was Winston. Very realistic. You're an 8. You're an 8.5. I'm a sweet, sweet 6. Okay, maybe we shouldn't be rating people to begin with, but then if you're going to operate on that paradigm, I love that he was realistic. He wasn't like, oh yeah, we're all 10s or rating himself much higher. He's just like, no, I'm going to be what I think I truly am, which whether I agree with those ratings or not is irrelevant because I feel like it's just so characteristically Winston to be ready with those ratings. And then coach is like, Winston, you got to stop rating us. So you're like, okay, he does this more than once. Like this isn't the only conversation in which he's done this, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, coach is one to talk, Mr. I time everything. <laughs> and like has his own stopwatch in his I back know. pocket. <laughs> but yeah, Winston was maybe going a little too far in a couple different ways. But the guys then say and do so much that Jess finally needs to like get out of that situation. She goes and just finds a different table and just be like, I'm just going to sit down for a minute, but then looks over at who she sat down next to. And okay, sticker value, very good looking person. So she's like, well, maybe I'll stay a while or maybe an hour and uh, get to know you and see what's new. And you kind of know the way this is being set up is going to be backfiring right? Like, like all of this whole thing, right? Like we had to get through the cringe to get to this place. And now we're going to see it backfire. Because Jess immediately jumps in and is like, okay, I'm interested in you. I'm trying to date someone. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, let's date. And then he's like, but I feel like I should get something out of the way. I have a micro penis. And I'm just like, okay, let's set up this hilarious episode. We got 20 minutes to work with. But also, why would you ever lead with that? And uh, Clearly, we find much more out about Matt over the course of this episode, and he is very douchey, but that's why he would lead with that. But otherwise, don't lead with your flaws. People can find those out. True, but I think the reason he led with this is because she was explaining what her friends did that drove her away about how they're so shallow and they don't do these things and how she's so much better. And I think that's why he led with that. Like, I don't think... In a regular conversation, he would have started with that. But I do think that, like, the context that Jess set led it to it. And also, obviously, like you said, we have 20 minutes. We got to get into it. We got to make it 
worth it rather than her finding out on a first date or on, on a date somewhere. And so for that time value, I do think that's part of it. But I also think that naturally speaking, he had found someone who had said, I'm not going to judge anyone for anything physical. And so why not take that opportunity to be open and say, okay, well, if this is going to weed you out, first of all, hypocrite. Second of all, just know now. And I say all of that. And I really do think it's true. But if you had shown me someone that Matt had just gone up and said this to, I also wouldn't put it past Matt specifically. But I think for the context of the episode, it's because Jess shared how she was not superficial like her friends. That's fair. And I guess I didn't think about it from that perspective. I just know that if it were me, I wouldn't be like, let me air all my dirty laundry with you. But I guess part of the reason too is I just felt like it was a little presumptuous of him to be like, oh, well, because you want my number and because we're going to exchange information, that must be because you want to hook up with me and that will come very quickly. So therefore you should know about this very specific thing very quickly. And that's kind of where I was like, wow, he's just like, clearly on some sort of mission. But then part of me too was like, Jess, like, yes, you just heard this thing. Okay. And we know Jess from three plus seasons of you, you will commit, right? Like, you know, that if you're being challenged, you will not let that go. And as we see through this episode, but I'm like, we just got done with you training with Schmidt about things to red flag and throw up your note cards about why you should walk away from a situation that doesn't seem okay. Even though your your thought process makes sense to me, Kritika, but like, I would be walking away. I would be like, oh no, the bees are back. <laughs> like, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think I even said in that episode that I feel like Jess's next relationship is going to be a really meaningful one because of how she went through that, the first pancake or whatever. And when I saw this come up, I was like, okay, so this is another butt of the joke kind of episode. This is not a real relationship for her. And I was surprised by that too. And I do think it should have been a red flag that she walked away at. But like you said, she's going to commit. She has to do it. And it's so close to when it was. And so, of course, she leaves. But what I feel like she did not have to do is to tell all the guys in the loft that he had a micropenis because we next see them Googling it being like so sad. And Winston even comes out a little later than the rest of the guys. And he's like, oh, look, it's an anteater being born. And they're like, no, that's a micropenis. And everyone's just so sad for this poor man. But I was just thinking, why did they even have to know? Because that kind of doubles down for me that the only reason Jess was really still into it is to prove a point because she didn't need to tell them all that detail. Or if she did, she could have told them later. But she was telling them first because she wanted to say, hey, look, I'm not as shallow as you guys are. And totally made this whole thing a competition, which is why, of course, it led to this bet between Nick and Jess. Yeah, that's an interesting question to be asking is like, why just even tell them? And especially from the context of knowing that there's a competition or like a challenge, essentially. Because yeah, if she then wanted to get out of it later, what she does try to do, I feel like she would have had an easier time, right? To be like, well, no, he's just not a good person. And it's not this situation. But I also kind of get that like, oh, well, I'm going to tell my friends like, hey, this guy, like he's so good looking but he did have this one thing, but I'm not going to let it get to me. Like, I think it's almost part of it. Like, that's what really brought on this like, 
bet around it is that because of his flaw, she wasn't going to let it, it get to her. But the part that I didn't understand was these guys are Googling, in theory, Googling like what this is and what that could look like. And I'm like, okay, yes, we're also in this episode talking about like getting access to a porn site and different things. But I'm like, how are you Googling micropenis right now and not getting spam and like viruses downloaded to your computer and also seeing way more than just very specific medically determined micropenises? Like, how is it that all of you are like, oh, look, that looks like an anteater being born. It's like your computer is now dead because it got, especially in 2014, like riddled with all the problems by looking this up. So I thought that was a little ridiculous is that they went to go look it up themselves. Like it's one thing for just to tell them, but then they went to look it up. And I'm like, don't be Googling that. That's so weird. Yeah, I think it is. But I also feel like we know Jess looked it up too, because later in the episode, she kind of says like, I actually think I could work with that. So that's not a problem. So I feel like it's not maybe as big of a thing. Like maybe there are more medically sound ways to look at this. But Coming back to your point about the porn site, I feel like any kind of spam pop-ups, they've got to have some kind of like ad blocker already in place. But I do wonder what their targeted ads are going to be after this because I can guarantee there's going to be some enlargement ads on their computers somewhere. But I also feel like they're very open. Like if you remember when Jess stumbles upon the porn on Schmidt's laptop, she just opened it and it was there. So I feel like they just don't care about those kind of things. No, they definitely don't seem to care and it's not a big deal for them at all. So yeah, I'm not, especially when in the bet that happens, like that's what Nick wants out of it is a subscription to the porn site. Or that's honestly, actually, that's what Jess offers. And I'm like, why is that her first offer to them? Like that seems weird in and of itself, especially when Jess is trying to say things like, well, the person that she values someone on is having a fertile mind and a gentle spirit, which I'm like, I don't know why that description alone just made me think of Paul Genslinger, because that just seems like a very perfect description just for him. But that's what she's describing. And yet she's offering to these people like, okay, well, if I date him a month, you have to donate to the National Organization for Women's Love Your Body campaign, or... I get you a subscription to your porn site of your choosing. And I'm like, mm, okay, Jess, why are you making all these terms yourself? These are just not great. Yeah, she walked herself into that one. I don't know if they would have chosen that. I feel like they would have gone maybe like a food route or something like that. But I get the reason being just like, okay, porn makes you have these unrealistic expectations. And so fine, go ahead and like, this is what you want to do, but also $500 to a porn site. Like that's so much. And just like you said, they should have just let Nick pick what he wanted in return. Although he was very quick to accept this. And it was clear that Jess should have just taken the bet that Nick started to offer, which was a week. He was like, I bet you wouldn't last a week. And Jess is over here. Like I'll last a month based on what it was one thing if she was going to say, oh, we had this really deep, meaningful connection, we had this, we had that. But even if she's going to say she's not shallow for dating a man with a micro penis, she's still being shallow in thinking she's going to date him a month based on nothing but his looks, because there is no substance to knowing that she's going to date him for a month. So in proving her point, I feel like she proved his point at the same time. Yeah, she definitely did. and. 
even a good point, like, when she first even gave her information, like, before she even realized about, and he said, oh, let me tell you about the micropenis, it's like, what was her goal with that? Because, like, clearly Jess is the person who wants relationship and not hookups, right? We know that. That's established. But that was not what he was going to be. That's not why she wanted to give her information to him, right? It just wasn't her objective, which is fine. She doesn't have to have that be her objective every time. But then when she's trying to like one up, it's like, you make a good point. It's like, you don't even know him. Like, and then, and Nick calls that out. Like you made that bet without even knowing him. And Jess is just saying, well, all people are good, which is like such a character flaw of Jess, right? She just thinks everyone's amazing all the time. But she quickly learns out that Matt is not great. <laughs> no. He is, which on one hand, I will say it was very suspicious to me that Jess or the guy or whoever went back to the same bar because they went back to where she met him the next day, I guess. It was a different outfit and it was the same bar because Schmidt and Coach and Winston were all still there and sad about his micropenis and being down at the bar and Cece calls it out and everything. But I'm just like, why just did you go back to the to the same bar with this guy? Like you didn't go anywhere else. <laughs> I thought that was really strange. They only go to one bar from here out, I feel like, at all. But I feel like if you're not sure of this guy or you're trying to get out of this date, do not do it in front of Nick. And obviously, it's not the micropenis that turns her off on all this. It's just his entire personality. And he's a street artist and wants to graffiti the bathroom. He calls scotch on the rocks sco rose like it's schmidt saying sigoths like what it's so cringy but the part that irked me with jess is even when she's trying to get out of this situation she's with nick it's like at least walk 10 steps away like you can fake your way out of this with your whole let's do our date on a one month anniversary but you can't do that in front of nick like he's not gonna let you get away with this it felt like it was so lackluster in it, even her attempt to like think this through and try to get out of the state. Yeah, I think at, at some level, Jess is just so genuine of a person and like, not necessarily, I wouldn't say naive, but just like straightforward with her approach to life, if you will. I don't think she would have been so intentional to hide her being mischievous, right? But then I will say about Jess and Nick, like, Part of me, again, I'm like, why are they at the same bar? Why are you not trying to hide this more? I'm with you. But I, in a way, liked that her friends were there, that she could, like, bounce off of them and, like, kind of show, too, that this relationship was definitely not for a relationship or even a hookup at this point. It was more for the competition and the bet that was happening and, like, trying to figure that out. But then in the conversation she's having with Nick while he went to the bathroom about, like, oh, my God, help me. I felt like that was such a good like friend chemistry moment and it's not again I'm trying really hard to not be like oh my god they're getting married together it's over like it's happening but it's not it's just the way that Nick and Jess bounce off of each other in that scene to me was so like perfect and then this other guy comes in that you know is like all bad like (laughs) Matt is all bad and he's like oh yeah no diggity no doubt like she's the best like we're gonna go out forever and Jess is just trying to explain like oh no I'm gonna be gone and he, I don't know, at some point when Matt just goes for trues, I'm just like, oh my God, 
just run away, Jess. It's not worth it. But Nick plays into it and is like, yeah, for true. Like he, he says it too, to like really egg him on and like go for it with everything. I just, I died in that scene. I think Jess says it too, like hating herself as she says it, like, I can't do this. And yeah, the interactions between her and Nick are very nice. And I also think that when you're going on a date with a stranger, it's nice to go somewhere where your friends are so that if anything goes wrong, you have a place to get out. So I totally get that. The last thing I will say about her intentions behind this date, though, if it was even remotely genuine, she would have been having the conversation about the micropenis with Cece not with the guys because if she had wanted to really date the guy she would have tried to make it work and I think she tried but the inner motive like we were saying is just the bet and so I appreciate that even though it meant her losing the bet she was honest with him that it wasn't a good fit for her and it was his personality and everything about him and I mean, yeah, he's a total douchebag. I love how she gets him to repeat statements like street art is the closest thing to an education that homeless people would get. And you're like, no, no, Matt, you need to do a bit more. And of course, when he's getting broken up with, he's immediately like, oh, it's because of the micro penis that I'm a douche. And you can just tell that anything he's done in his life, he has alluded either in his head or people have told him or something that like, oh, it's the micropenis's fault. And like, that's his get out of jail free card almost for anything he wants to do and have bad behavior about. And I'm glad that in that moment, Jess walked away, even if she did kind of go through her own realization around it. I think it was definitely the right move because he is such a douche. I found that whole moment though to be frustrating because as we explore later in this episode, everybody has their flaws. And if you truly blame your whole reason of being a douchebag on your flaws, that's a you problem. Like that's not an other people problem. So like nothing about what Jess was doing and saying, like, I'm going to clearly explain this to you. It's not what you think it is. And he's like, oh, but it's because I've been made fun of my whole life. Like, it's not me. It's just this problem. But I'm also like, maybe if when you meet people, you don't lead with the fact that you have a micro penis, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> it's just like, maybe you're self-sabotaging. Maybe it's you. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like a 2023 Jess would immediately like call that out and be like, yeah, mm, it's it's you, you're the problem. I'm going to walk away now because I'm not going to deal with this and nobody has time to deal with cradling your emotions on something that you should figure out on your own. And you know, I think that what we've been calling flaws and the episode called flaws should really be relabeled insecurities because it's not a flaw. It's like Jess's wonky knee. That's not like a flaw in her design, but it is something she's now insecure about. Like Schmidt's insecure about his weight. Matt's insecure about his micro penis. But I think that kind of plays into what you're saying. If it's an insecurity, you can't blame that on other people or blame bad behavior on it because it's not a flaw. It's just you got to get over it. You got to work through it. Maybe go to therapy, whatever it takes for you to get good with whatever it is. Which I, th I feel like Jess goes through that arc here when she's like embracing her wonky knee throughout this episode. I would say though real fast is that 
Jess's wonky knee is the only one of the insecurities that doesn't apply here because there is nothing wrong with her knee. I know we don't see it easily in the episode, but it's a knee. You, that should not make Nick so ridiculously insecure about himself in the relationship based on a knee. Yeah, and then we see her purchasing the add-ons for the porn site as Nick's just standing there and she kind of uses that moment like we're saying to kind of understand her own insecurities as she realizes that everyone has flaws as she calls it and so of course she goes to see Matt because she's had this realization and she's like I can give him another chance or I can go talk to him and she goes there and of course explains it in the most just way possible saying it's not his micropenis it's her micropenis and Matt's just like I am so lost what is happening and I also loved when she showed him her knee the fact that she was like the one day I wear jeans because Jess is so characteristically always wearing dresses and skirts and I loved that that was put in because I'm sure it was on purpose to make this whole note from the writers. And that was actually a big highlight of the episode to me for some of the storyline. Yeah, that was a whole moment where she's suddenly like pulling down her pants. And I will say I did love that. I mean, as much as I'm like, nothing's wrong with her knee. As soon as she does that, the guy, (laughs) even Matt is like, wait, what am I looking at here? Like, this is a problem. Like, what am I seeing? And he's already like, even though he has his own literal micro penis, like he's having his moment of like, wait, I don't know that I'm okay with this knee. Then of course the girlfriend comes in and is like freaking out, like what is happening? And it's, it just unfolds so quickly. Like you have a girlfriend, not anymore. And then Jess is like, wait, why are you not going after her? And he's like, oh, she was fat. Like what? I could like, I think just like Jess and just like every, every audience member, even men, women, everyone, it was not the right thing to say. And what kind of person is this? Like that was just really hammering it in for Jess that he is the number one biggest douchebag that she's ever encountered. And so she calls him out and is like, you probably don't even have a micro penis. But then of course he opens up his robe and she sees the whole small thing (laughs) is what we are alluded to believe. (laughs) Yeah. And she wouldn't stop staring. It was so weird to watch her watch, not even watch, stare at him And then she goes on to say how she's glad she met him and all these things she's learned about herself. And it's an interesting way to end it. And I also thought it was really funny that at the very end, we get a little bit more of a callback to this whole storyline because Jess's credit card company called fraud on the porn website and canceled her card because it's so unlike her to have made a purchase like that, which I thought was amazingly hilarious. And Nick's like, yeah, it's okay. I was going to cancel it because it just felt weird that you're paying for it. And that was an interesting, like, nice way to bring it back at the end of the episode while all this other stuff is going on. But it's just also really cute to see them kind of interact that way. Yeah, I would say they're very solidly friends at this time and going forward, just given the way that we've had their banter in conversation this episode. But as all of this is going on, the other half of the episode is Schmidt and Coach feeling sad 
about learning about the concept of a micro penis. And so they're at the bar being sad. Winston is not really as sad. He's just kind of like, okay, guys, like, come on, what's going on? But he does go put on Paula Cole rock block. And you're like, that's not the most upbeat music. Maybe you are a little sad, Winston. <laughs> not sure. But Cece's bartending and ultimately we get an immediate little like Cece and Winston like looking at each other like, oh my God, these guys are just being ridiculous about how sad they are. But Winston starts dropping hints like maybe you should consider modeling. And we're getting to a big friendship turnaround for Cece and Winston and it's getting exciting. Yeah, these two are definitely my kind of people. They had the same reactions while all of this was going on, rolling their eyes. And I love that they're starting this Cece Winston mess around. Even if Cece isn't fully into it, I feel like it's such a cute dynamic between these two. And I like Cece getting more integrated with the loft. Like she had her Schmidt storyline. She briefly dated Coach. And she and Nick are becoming friends from behind the bar. And so Winston's really the only person left to have that independent relationship with. And I like the way they're doing it because they're not trying to make another love interest for her, which I think would have been really annoying, but someone who she can just have a good time with. And of course, these two decide, like you said, to get them into modeling. So the next time we see them after the bar, they are taking a photo shoot. And I have never seen Schmidt and Coach simultaneously be so unlike themselves and exactly who I think they are at the same time. Schmidt's like egging Coach on with these prompts and <laughs> then Coach's like, hold on, I gotta go protein load. It's like, oh my god, you guys are taking photos. It's a joke. Can you not see it on Winston and Cece's face? Winston is not even looking in the camera. He's looking off to the side and clicking photos. This is not a real photo shoot. But these two do not know that. They don't know that. The whole photo shoot for me gave all day energy. And they didn't even have to say all day. But I'm like, they could model all day. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> That's the vibes <laughs> that were coming through. And the, the vibes were, con were continuing when especially like, you know, that they were fully bought in when was it Winston, I think, that was like, oh, the next shot they really want is for a piggyback. And they're like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And they jump on each other's backs and you're just like, guys, come on. And ugh. and then they bust in and they're talking to Nick and Jess and they're like, help make a choice. Help decide what's best. And Coach is just like, well, my sexy baby's better than his. And I'm like, sexy what? <laughs> like, why are you not questioning anything that's being told to you? And also the way that Schmidt says his is better. He's like, there are people lining up wanting to have sex with my baby. It's like, this is disgusting. There shouldn't be a sexy baby pose. And then Coach does the sexy baby pose. And you're like, oh, this is so cringy. It's hilarious to watch. But I cannot imagine being one of these two men right now. Then Nick kind of jumps in and they just like, Really, they're going at each other and anyone who comes in the way because they call Nick a depression era garbage man. And they're like going back and forth fighting. It's all very hilarious. But then Schmidt gets deep with it. He talks about how his whole insecurity around having been overweight as a child 
is still haunting him and he's still like outrunning it. And you can see there's like a little bit of a shift in coach as he's like, oh, this means something different to you than it does to me, which was really cool to see that kind of dynamic for the two of them. Yeah, you can definitely tell that coach was in it for the fun of like being better than his friend, you know, from a coach, like also competition perspective. But Schmidt in the next scene is like looking over the pics on the tablet and is like, okay, well, I've narrowed it down to 60. Can you help me look? And coach is looking at and like helping him decide and Schmidt's narrating. And I will say Schmidt is so, so serious. Only the way that Max Greenfield could be, but cuddles with tigers and it's just him there standing with no shirt on. And then they do go show Jess at some point and Jess is like, I'm sorry, what am I looking at? Like, why am I looking at this? And I couldn't handle it. Like the other titles were so funny too, but cuddles with tigers and it's just him shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> the kiss the chef one like felt like it made sense. Yeah. Very catalog. Very catalog. 100%. I was like, am I trying to cook a recipe? Are you, are we in a cookbook? Are we like buying spatulas I don't know whatever but I thought the photo that actually was really good was one of the most ridiculous names hot guy with kidnapped son I was like wait this actually does look like a model photo but like why are you naming it like this (laughs) it didn't make any sense at all and what also didn't make any sense is the fact that Schmidt was so believing or even coach believing that if there was anything you can do to get out of your body image issues, it's modeling. And I'm like, how about it's not modeling? I mean, I guess a little bit modeling. Like, it seems like, sure, yes, in like a 2020s way, yes, okay, like you can get out of your like headspace and be anybody's model type of thing. But I'm like, not with the way Schmidt's treating this right now. And not with the backstory that Schmidt gave about how like, the same reason as Matt, like, oh, I was made fun of my whole life for my weight. And I'm very depressed about this. I'm like, this maybe is not the answer. (laughs) Maybe we need to just talk through these feelings a little bit more. But coach figures out that this is maybe all a ruse, seeing Cece and Winston off to the side. And he calls it out and says, it's a Cece Winston mess around, which I love that suddenly he knows what this is too. Like, he's like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. Not sure how, but he knows this will break Schmidt, right? So they need to make it right. They need to make him a model. And they do. They get him a billboard in Koreatown in LA, downtown LA. And it's Schmidt with Korean text on the poster. And I translated that text and it says, I'm a model. (laughs) But Schmidt is a model. He's on a billboard. (laughs) I love their attempt to explain it too when they're like, yeah, the agency paid all this money. It's for Jewish Korean international relations. And Coach is not letting them off the hook. He's like, when does Schmidt get paid? And they're like, the agency's tapped out. They had to do this. And, you know, it'll come. Schmidt's like, why the agency? Wouldn't the international alliance? They're like, no, no, it's an international thing. And he's like, yeah, well, Schmidt gets $500 for this, right? And Coach is just like out there. And poor Winston and Cece are like, was this worth $500 to have all this fun with them? Probably not. It wasn't only $500, though. It was $1,800 in so many cents or whatever to get the billboard. And now it's another $500. So I think that they 
in theory, may have learned their lesson about pulling a charade on their friends, but maybe not. (laughs) More to come. I at least know that Schmidt's day was made because he wanted to stay back a little and take it all in. And then as he's alone, he yells, millionaire. (laughs) at the billboard which what a great way to close this episode out the most schmidt way possible but speaking of unique things that people do sometimes that takes us to our most likely to section where critique and i come up with two different things each of what happened in this episode and determine who of the two of us would be most likely to do that thing so critique the first that i wanted to ask you is who do you think is most likely to Call a drink a scoro. I think it would be you. And I think it would be not like you're just trying to be cute and coming up with something, but like heard it from this TV show or something and would now adopt that into your vernacular. Like I could see you going around calling Fernando your Sigoth because of this show, but not on your own just because that's something you do. I was maybe thinking me as well, but because I would just do it, because I thought it was funny. I'm like, I think this is an only child problem because I feel like sometimes I have these inside jokes with myself <laughs> that no one else knows about that sometimes I'd be like, mm, I love me some scoros. And then that may slip, slip out at one point out in the world. And I'd be like, oh shoot, that's supposed to be just for me. So probably still me, but actually probably because I would just do it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay, Kelly, mine is... Which one of us do you think would be the Winston and Cece in this group and take a bunch of pictures of their friend pretending to make them a model and just like prank them in that way? I mean, I think you already said that it would be you. (laughs) I think it would be you. I think, I don't know. I think you would do it not necessarily from a prank perspective. So maybe that's like the asterisk. Like, I think you would do it. Like if someone even was like, I could be a model, you would go through a whole thing to like, get them their model shots so they can even just think about submitting them somewhere even if they don't go anywhere and they just go like on social media or something like I think you would go through the effort to do that and I think I would just be like nah (laughs) like I just don't even think I'd go through the effort (laughs) I think that's really nice I think if we were saying genuinely I actually think you would totally do that for a good friend like you'd be there for them doing all that from a prank perspective, I feel like I would do it. Like I would dive into a prank so deep and then get caught in it and be like, oh no, now I got to come out of this. Like Nick did with the shoes where he like oh. sized something for Schmidt and like printed him so he looked like he was shrinking and all that. Like I feel like I would do it. I feel like actually, you, I mean, yes, I felt like it would be you even though I felt like it was a nice perspective I had, but I feel like you would even go make like a microsite on the internet of like, here's where you submit your model photos and like <laughs> actually have people do that. Commit to the bit. Yeah. You would commit too hard, like too hard, like Winston. <laughs> so probably yes, you. All right, Kritika, who of us would be most likely to Google a medical condition when you heard about it, just so that you can see what it looks like. Doesn't have to be micro penis. I won't say that one, but a medical condition. This one's kind of a hard one. I feel like we would both do it. I feel like you would maybe get more grossed out by something quicker than I would, but I feel like we would both Google it just to be like, now we know what this is. 
Because I also feel like when we were watching New Girl and they talked about Giardia and Legionnaire's disease, you actually did Google those things. So I feel like it's both of us because if it's someone I know, I would go look it up. And I feel like you're interested in that anyway. But what do you think? I do think it's both of us. I remember specifically, too, when I heard about, I mean, this was years ago now, but Jimmy Fallon talked about how he doesn't wear his wedding ring anymore because he had a ring avulsion. I would say don't look that up if you don't like to see gross things, but maybe you will because I think it's both of us who want to see what this means and understand it and then get so grossed out that you immediately quit the app on your phone or close the tab because you're like, nope, didn't need to see that, but why was I so curious? So I think it could be both of us. Don't do it, listeners. Don't Google it. (laughs) It's gross. I wouldn't. I didn't open it yet but I searched it and it says safe search blurring is on so I think I'm just gonna exit that and not go that's through that's a new one. google feature that is a new google feature that did not exist when I googled it a while ago <laughs> so I, I at least get too curious so I think that's kind of both of us like you said like we're too curious and we want to be in the know enough to like understand what severity something is but I also close it really quickly like I did get grossed out so it's like a double-edged sword in a way. Oh, yeah. I totally get that. Okay, but my last one, Kelly, is which one of us do you think would try to graffiti a bathroom? I'm, I'm sitting here, like, speechless. Like, I'm like, neither of us, we wouldn't do this, especially not a skylight on the floor to hell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Matt was so much like he was just the extreme of any kind of person you were thinking about. But I don't think either of us would do this. Like, I mean, maybe if like the bathroom already had some graffiti in it, that was like, like, you know, some, some bathrooms, some places it's like they're shtick to have the whole thing covered in like words or whatever, maybe in that scenario, but not like it's a pristine bathroom and now I'm going to graffiti it. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't think either of us would do that, but I was interested in case I was surprised on this one just to here's something different. Um, no, thanks. I'm very much a Jess all the time, every day. So <laughs> don't have some secret graffiti, a bathroom desire inside of me, but it's always good to check. <laughs> but now we're going to take a break and we're going to be right back with the Schmidism. And we're back. So for this episode's Schmidtism, we had to do Schmidt egging coach on at the photo shoot. And so as always, I will be your Schmidt. And there's a couple lines from pretty much everyone else, Winston, Cece, and coach. And Kelly's going to be all of those players for us this episode. Radiant. Yes. Yes. You don't even need this bounce board. You're making your own light, man. No doubt. No doubt. Winston, you getting this? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I'm getting all of this. Flawless. Yeah, there you go. All right. Now, give me some stuff like it's the first day of school, right? Okay, that's right. And you got your backpack on? Yeah, there you go. But you packed your own lunch. But what you don't know is when you were making it, you got some mustard on your forehead. That's right. Now you're playing Pictionary, okay? Now you're playing Pictionary, and what do you... Ooh, now I got now I got my little card. What am I gonna draw? What am I gonna draw? You get sardines. They don't smell good. How do I draw a smell? How do I draw a smell? What does that look like? That's modeling. That's right. 
Schmidt does Schmidt all by himself. What else can we say? <laughs> How do I draw a smell? It is truly a monologue by Schmidt through this. Oh, that's so good. And Coach, of course, is just doing what he does and he's pinching his nose when it smells and like doing PU like <laughs> nothing's good but they they get their model shots in Cece and Winston just keep egging them on but getting to our in the 2020 section we always start with our not in the 2020s and not surprisingly we are focusing on how in this episode everyone was judging people based on their looks whether it was about boobs or micro penises, and it was really through the whole episode. It went into the modeling storyline. It stayed with the Jess storyline. That was a whole focus of how to not take people at face value and not be focusing on their flaws per se. But then we also wanted to say another knot was Matt at the end of the episode when he is letting his girlfriend walk away because, oh, she was getting a little fat, and not in the 2020s. And similarly, around sizing, the whole modeling and the way they approach all of this and comments around geisha waist, and then even later, Cece talking about how she could only get Schmidt a modeling gig if it was 1970s Israel and just kind of reducing him to just his Jewish faith and whatever that might mean for his looks was all also a not in the 2020s for us. On the yes side, we wanted to highlight Coach giving in on the modeling to Schmidt because he could see that Schmidt wanted it more, but then also wanted to highlight just really, again, the whole episode, not judging people based on their looks, but also having Jess share and explain, like, it's really not the looks that's making me not interested in you, right? And being clear about her intentions and sharing that it wasn't just those decisions that were driving her perspective. Exactly. And next up, we talk about pop culture. And while we only pick a few to highlight on this podcast, we always mention all of the references that we catch on our website and show notes. But the ones we're going to dive into today is the song Hey Yeah by Outkast, which is referenced in this episode as Coach saying, I hate when Schmidt cries because he sounds like a ghost singing Hey Yeah when he's trying to get Cece and Winston to do the right thing and follow through on this for Schmidt. So the song itself is by the American hip-hop and funk group Outkast and was released in 2003 as a single from their double album, Speaker Box, The Love Below. It was written and produced by Andre 3000, who's known for his innovative and eclectic musical style. And the song is catchy, it has an upbeat melody, but the lyrics itself are about people who stay together even when they're unhappy, creating really a sense of irony between the melody and the lyrics. It has a very memorable music video directed by Brian Barber, which is a tribute to the Beatles' iconic experience on The Ed Sullivan Show and showcases Entree portraying various band members. The song itself topped the charts in several countries, won a Grammy Award for Best Urban Alternative Performance in 2004, and was on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for nine consecutive weeks. The song's popularity has endured over the years because it's been a defining track of the 2000s, and it's really become a staple of pop culture, which is why we picked it really to expand on today. And another thing that was really interesting about this song is that it was recorded using live instrumentation, which means that most of the instruments were played by Andre himself, and that included guitar, bass, drum programming, and he did the vocals for the lead and backing vocals. 
And another quick thing about this song is that one of the most iconic lines from the song is shake it like a Polaroid picture, which actually in looking this up, I learned today, you are not actually supposed to shake Polaroid pictures. The company actually advises against that, but I always grew up knowing that you shake it to help them develop faster. That song definitely led people to believe to shake a picture versus just let it develop naturally. But to give some additional context about OutKast, the band who wrote this song, they are an American hip-hop duo who gained popularity in the 1990s and early 2000s. And their two members are Andre Benjamin, who goes by the stage name Andre 3000, and Antoine Patton, who goes by Big Boy. They are credited with pushing the boundaries of hip-hop and incorporating various musical genres into their work, including funk, soul, electronic, and rock music. So as Kritika mentioned, in 2004, they won a Grammy for this song, but then they also won the Grammy for Album of the Year for their combined album of Speaker Box, The Love Below, which made them one of the few hip-hop acts to achieve that award. After the success of this album, Outkast went on a hiatus, and both Andre 3000 and Big Boy pursued solo projects. Andre 3000 even ventured into acting while continuing with his music, and Big Boy released solo albums. Another pop culture reference that we were going to share more about today is the reference to Cookie Monster, Big Bird, and Sesame Street from the beginning of the episode where especially Winston is the one saying he likes when boobs go in two different directions, like Cookie Monster's eyes, and the wonky knee and Big Bird conversations, like putting feathers on it, and he realized he has a Sesame Street problem. I will note that we did talk about Bert and Ernie on our podcast, which are two other Sesame Street characters in Season 2, Episode 18, 10 Finity of our podcast. But today we're talking a little bit more about Cookie Monster, Big Bird, and Sesame Street overall. Cookie Monster is a character from the long-running children's television show Sesame Street. And as it sounds, he is known for his love of cookies. He is known for having the catchphrase, Me Want Cookie. And he was originally introduced as a more generic monster, But then over time, he has just become associated with his major appetite for cookies. (laughs) However, in later years, Sesame Street introduced a more balanced approach to his diet, emphasizing the importance of healthy eating habits. As Sesame Street probably experienced, it is not in the 2020s to just push cookies and make them sound so good. And another character from Sesame Street that Winston was obsessed with this episode is Big Bird. He is another one of the central characters and is most recognized by his towering height, friendly demeanor, and bright yellow plumage. He is also characteristically kind, curious, and very relatable for the young viewers of Sesame Street because he's often portrayed as innocent and known for his childlike wonder and his love of learning. The show started in 1969 And Big Bird has been a constant presence since then and one of the most enduring and beloved characters. As noted, when it first premiered in 1969, it quickly became a cultural phenomenon as it's known for its innovative approach to education using a combination of puppetry, animation, live action, and music to engage children. 
The setting is set on a diverse urban neighborhood, and its primary goal is to promote early childhood education and help develop social skills. With these different characters, the show covers a wide range of topics, including literacy, numeracy, diversity, emotions, and basic life skills. And no show features such a diverse cast of characters, both human and Muppet, which are the ones that are like Big Bird and Cookie Monster. Sesame Street has won many awards for its contributions to children's education on television, and it continues to be cherished and produced today around the world. Getting to our guest stars segment, we are not going to be talking about Talia Tabin, who is literally just referenced as woman on IMDb, but we obviously will be talking about Alan Richson, who plays Matt. We know Alan from TV shows like Titans, DC Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and of course, Blue Mountain State, in movies like The Hunger Games and Catching Fire. But he's also famous for TV shows like Reacher, Smallville, and movies like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and Fast X. Beyond acting, Alan is also a musician, and he is known to write most of his songs while driving. He also began his modeling career at Abercrombie and Fitch in the catalog. So a little funny that they talk about modeling this episode, but Alan actually was a catalog model. And he first came to the attention of the public in 2004 when he appeared on American Idol as one of the top 87 contestants in the third season before being cut in Hollywood. His appearance on the show was noted because he did a striptease in front of the judges and wooed the judge Paula Abdul at the time. He is married to his wife, Catherine, and together they have three sons. And on a personal level, he's openly spoken about his struggles with bipolar disorder. One quick fun fact about Alan is that in this episode, he lifts up his shirt and points to the different tattoos he has, and those were his real tattoos. He also, even today, has documented and shared out getting more tattoos. So that was definitely very central to him as a person, despite him not being actually douchey like his character. Some more trivia and fun facts. This episode has so many different references back to other episodes in New Girl so far. So first of all, we both really felt that this whole micropenis storyline really felt a lot like the Pogo storyline from season two, episode 14, Pepperwood, and how they explored everyone's Pogos in that. But then a couple other quick hits that seem to have come back are the tattoo of warrior poet, which is Schmidt's stripping persona from season one, episode 10, the story of the 50. Jess looking for Victorian England porn, like in season three, episode 18, sister three. And the callback to Kitten Teats for Schmidt from Season 3, Episode 2, Nerd. And finally, Schmidt running for exercise. But in Season 1, Episode 4, Naked, he actually talks about how he can't really run. And I think he even faints in that episode. So a lot of little callbacks to previous episodes. One that is not a callback, but kind of a fun reference and connection today is that Nick, played by Jake Johnson, talking about wanting the porn website and having porno magazines. And Jake Johnson is now known for his new television show, Minx, where he runs a porn magazine during the 1970s. 
Separately, we did want to call back to the billboard that Schmidt was a model on where it said, I am a model for him. That scene really was filmed in LA's Koreatown. However, all of the Korean language signage was made specifically for this episode. So behind them at some point, you actually see some different signs for Korean restaurants, but actually those are blacked out windows of the California Bank and Trust. And you can see the ATM for that bank in a few different shots from different angles. So just a fun fact about the filming location. And finally, the bear this episode, we did not find it ourselves, but we did look online as we always do. And while one source said our familiar bear on the refrigerator door, the other one says that about seven minutes and 20 seconds, there's a possible bear figurine behind the bar where Cece is. We kind of think it looks more like a dog, but maybe it could be a bear. It's always so hard to tell. But that gets us to our rating and favorite character section of our podcast, where ultimately we share IMDb's rating, which as of today, their rating was a 7.3 out of 10 for this episode. The audience viewership when it aired in the U.S. was 2.61 million, which has been higher than episode two and episode three of season four. And That really gets me too to my rating, which I give this episode an 8 out of 10. I didn't really love the cringiness of like the boob rating and the micropenis conversation, but I really did like all of the humor that came out of it and a lot of the back and forth with Nick and Jess, the Winston CC mess around. So I think there was a lot of good moments in this episode to just give it a real nice solid rating. I gave this episode a 7 out of 10. I did like a lot of the same things that you did. I think the modeling storyline was absolutely my favorite, but there was also a lot of places I was kind of cringing and wasn't really into it, so it was a 7 for me. But my favorite character had to be Winston. I just felt like how instantly he could move on from this tragic event of someone else having a micropenis to then using that to play into Coach and Schmidt's sadness and make them into models about how they needed to share their beauty with the world. It was just so quick, and I just appreciated how he did all of this, even if it ended up costing him and Cece like almost $2,000 together. It was just too good. Winston's a good choice. I found it really difficult to pick a favorite character this episode, and I feel like I'm going to go with Nick, purely based on the fact that he made me laugh the most, because ultimately the scene where he's responding to Matt about the graffiti in the bathroom, like, oh no, bud, rather you wouldn't. And having him like come back with the for trues and like really pushing Jess on what she committed to. I think I just, I really liked how Nick handled himself in this episode. Good choice. At this point, we're going to get into our spoiler section, so anyone who has not watched the rest of the show, or maybe you just don't want to hear about the future storylines yet, we're going to give you this chance to break away. But Kelly and I want to say thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of Who's That Girl? We love your feedback, as we say every single episode, so please give us a rating or leave comments in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this now. And... Maybe you might even find a poll on Spotify to let us know who your favorite character this episode was. You can also send us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at whosthatgirlpod. We hope you'll be back next time for the next episode. Okay, you have five more seconds to get out before the spoilers start. 
end game couples. We always start out with Jess and Nick in our spoiler section. And this episode, I gave them a one. I felt like some of the chemistry that you were talking about earlier in the episode, Kelly, is there. And I felt like there's always some sexual tension there between the two of them and how they bet and do things. It wasn't enough for it to be a really big end game rating for me, but I felt like I could see something there. So it was a one. What about you? I gave them a three because I felt like even though I don't think it's more relationship level, I do think it's more friendship. And I think friendship is the foundation and it's a little bit more than we've seen in the last couple episodes. So I'm okay averaging out at a two. For Schmidt and Cece this episode, I gave them a one because they did interact this episode and Cece at least did make a few comments about, I don't feel good about hurting Schmidt this way. That wasn't my intention. She wants to also be his friend. So it's a one, two, because in some episodes we've never even gotten them together or interacting. So here I'm like, they're interacting as friends, kind of a similar way that I rated Jess and Nick, but they just, we just got less dialogue from them this episode. Yeah, I also gave them a one. My reasoning was around more of like them talking about the sexual relationship they had where she's making jokes about it, but it seemed not in like a mean way, but in a we're comfortable way. So it was also a very low one for me. But when we think about the douchebag tracker, I really struggled with this one. And our scale is that a zero is a totally genuine guy and a 10 is a total douchebag. And I went back and forth. I felt like he didn't do anything super douchey, but then the way he was talking about himself, the modeling, I was like, maybe it is really douchey, but then he was doing it from a genuine place. On the fly, I'm going to say like a six and a half. I feel like I am biased and it should be higher, but I'm going to say a six and a half. I gave him a much lower rating meaning I thought he wasn't very douchey at all I guess just compared with Matt this episode I felt like Schmidt was not really douchey at all yes the modeling piece is a little like okay you're a little into it but he was actually genuinely into it and not trying to be cool and especially the way that they referred it back to like oh well I always had issues with my weight and like this is actually helpful like even though it didn't seem like that would be a good solution he felt like it was so To me, I gave him a three because it didn't actually come off as douchey to me. I felt like all of Schmidt's intentions were genuine. So before we started talking, I actually gave him a five. And it's more so through our discussion that I bumped him up. So I'll let you decide kind of where we net out. But some of the things that made him feel a little more douchey to me is like how he responded to Matt having a micro penis, like the sorriness he felt, the way he like embodied it himself and the way he wanted to share his beauty with the world. That's what started to bump me a little bit higher. But I definitely started this episode when we started talking at a five. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, maybe four and a half, five, like that could be a good middle ground. But yeah, I don't know. Those didn't seem too strong to me, even though it was weird, but it didn't come off as douchey to me. I think the reason is Matt is a 10 out of 10. And so it's really hard to gauge Schmidt in this episode because there is someone douchier than him that is full douche. Matt is a 12 out of 10. Like he's (laughs) douchier than Schmidt ever has been in this whole series. Yeah. So it makes it harder. And 
On our bird shirt tracker this episode, unfortunately, Winston did not wear a bird shirt that we noticed. I even went back and clicked through to see all of his shirts, but no bird shirt. So we're still at a one from episode two. And the only other spoilers to call out in this episode is we talked about it in the episode, but the CC Winston mess around. And this is the first time I think it's been used. And I love that they immediately reference it as if it's always been going on or that Winston has been trying to get this to be a thing and CC is just against it. But I am excited for more classic CC and Winston mess arounds to come about. Me too. I think they're going to be really fun to see. But that gets us to the end of this episode. So Critique and I do just really want to say thank you again for listening to Who's That Girl? A New Girl podcast. We always love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating in any of your podcast platforms that allow you to do so. We love to read your comments as well. So whether it's Apple Podcasts or you send us an email at our email address, which is whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com. Or reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter or X at Who's That Girl Pod. And we hope to see you back for the next episode. Talk to you soon.